Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton, and I'm going to warn you right now, everything we talk about today on the podcast is completely and utterly fake. It's all BS. And here to talk about that fake stuff, fake news, is Joe Pompeo. Joe, welcome to the show. It's your first time here. I, I feel like I'm like I'm. I feel like I'm one of the cool kids now, you know, because I, I listen and I hear. I mean, I'm, I'm no Emily Jane Fox, so I hope you have your expectations yeah. appropriately low. Well, my, we will judge you after this. After the show, we will. We will. The people they love to leave mean comments on the internet, so they will if they don't like it. Let's just tell our listeners uh, who you are, why you're here, and uh, and, we'll, and I'll get into what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I, well, I cover media for for Vanity Fair, um, and I'm here because you want to talk about about uh, all the things happening in the in the media uh, right now, um, fake news and 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 Fox News and 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 that's tr- the same Trump, thing. Trump fake, attacking the news, right? Fox yeah, news. fake Fox News. Trump attacking the news. Trump attacking Fox News. Uh, um, yeah. So let's just jump in. So I, um, I have a million questions for you. It feels to me, as someone who's not a professional, uh, very in this industry, but a little bit, um, that the that the attacks on the media by Trump and company have been not only kind of turned up a notch in the last few months, but but have been different. They've been more intense. There've been some kind of dark ops stuff going on that we can get into. Am I just assuming that, is, or is that correct? Has it really gotten like worse? No, it, it feels like it's definitely been more intense. Wasn't was there like a day a few weeks ago? I mean, I, I was um, kind of on a quasi uh, paternity leave the last two weeks of, of August, so I was like not fully paying attention. But there was some day in there where, where he didn't he have some like AM tweet storm of like twenty tweets in a row attacking the Washington Post and the the new. I mean, it, it definitely feels like the, the severity is dialed up. And yes, there are some. Um, kind of formalizing efforts to uh, discredit um, journalists that it's kind of happening amongst, um, you know, kind of unspecified allies in, in, in Trump world who are, uh, you know, you know, compiling dossiers of like old embarrassing tweets and inappropriate social media posts. To- so t- tell us, explain that to the, what happened with that, because that to me is just kind of almost a little bit, you know, Vladimir Putin terrifying. <laughs> kind of walk us through what what recently happened and what's kind of been what's been you know shown uh, that's going on, not just in the Trump administration, but kind of in this conservative dark ops so world. We've so there's, there've been examples of this where you know, you'll see you know we. We've seen like certain Trump allies, you know, kind of like surface some old tweet of, you know, a, a reporter they want to attack here, here and there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tactic. It's not too unfamiliar. But a couple of weeks ago, like late August, there was a big New York Times front page story about um, Trump allies targeting journalists over, you know, unfavorable coverage, coverage that the administration deems 
hostile. So what you know what was described was this loose network of operatives, um, you know, who have kind of combed. Uh, you know, archives of social media posts, Twitter posts of journalists at, you know, all the out, all the outlets you'd expect, the Times, the Washington Post, where, you know, uh, you know, probably pretty much any uh, of the so-called fake news uh, enemy of the people type of outlets that the administration hates, perhaps some of us at Vanity Fair. Um, and they, they basically said we have, you know, they have this trove of, um, you know, dirty laundry to... To, to, to air and expose, you know, the journalists and these outlets for their hypocrisy. So, so the, 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 the example that was used in this article um, to, to kind of like demonstrate this tactic was there was a, a couple of articles that, that the Trump people were unhappy with. And I should say that the, I think officially, you know, the, the, the White House and the administration, you know, denies any knowledge of this. This is like people affiliated with the, the campaign or just people who are, who are friendly to the president or, or whatever. It's not um, the White House itself. But th- there was some Times reporting they were unhappy with. There was a profile t- t- coming out on Stephanie Grissom, the new press secretary, that they thought was like a hit job. So to combat this, they released to Breitbart some very, um, not just embarrassing, but like bad tweets from uh, a, a guy who is described as a senior staff editor on the uh, political staff editor on the New York Times, where these were these were like anti-Semitic tweets from when this guy was in college or something. And I, you know, to not to um, uh, you, you know suggest that's acceptable in any way, but the tweets were more on the like really bad, immature joke level of anti-Semitism as, than, as most tweets are then then like yeah. this guy's a Nazi or something like that so so with that caveat so they so they released these articles um these, these tweets to Breitbart to you know say well you know look at this you know this 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 senior staff editor at the New York Times um you know posting these anti-Semitic tweets look how hypocritical they are and they and they released the tweets they started up and um you know to basically undermine all of the New York Times credibility overall. In reality, you know, and you worked at the Times, so you know this, like a senior staff editor might sound like a big job, someone really important at the Times, you know. Um, you know, someone reading this might think that like the person who runs all political coverage for the Times or something like, you know, uh, tweeted a bunch of anti-Semitic jokes when they were in, in, in college. But, you know, this is like a person who's young, who is editing a political newsletter or something. He's in no way like reflective of the organization or even necessarily yeah, yeah. like a position of power at the organization. But nonetheless, they're using, they're weaponizing tweets, even of like kind of like, you know, random anonymous editors to like undermine the credibility of the times when they're unhappy with its reporting. And so they say this group says, you know, that they, they claim that they have, this is just the tip of the iceberg. They have so much more dirt than that, that you know, waiting to, to be used um, uh, against these, these outlets that they think are, are, are unfair. So that's kind of what's happening. And the, uh, the ironic part is that since this front page times article came out, uh, you know, there was another report a few days ago from, from Axios um, where, you know, now, uh, they're kind of formalizing the effort. Supposedly, you know, Mike Allen got his hands on like a prospectus for for um, 
you know, the, this this project, and they're trying to raise, they're raising money. Um, so, a so perspective for a Republican uh, uh, project to kind of go after journalists. Yeah, for this this group, fit? this this kind of shadowy group. Um, has been circulating like a prospectus um, about, you know, how it's going to be, uh, you know, targeting, you know, these news outlets and they're raising money. And it's basically, basically the effort, what was maybe like a loosey goosey sort of, uh, you know, effort is now a- apparently it seems becoming a little more, a little more formal. That's the, the latest thing that's happening. I've been talking to a bunch of White House reporters about this and, you know, the reaction is kind of like, I, I think some of them feel like, you know, the, the coverage has been a little overblown. Like, yes, this is a real thing, but let's not give these people too much credit. You know, um, what they're really doing is, is mining, you know, like Twitter feeds and trying to find like whatever, you know, random tweet someone, someone made 10 years ago. So, you know, we're not exactly shaking in our boots here at the same time. There's also a, you know, there is a level of concern of like, God, have I ever said anything stupid that could, that could be used against me? Is someone going to dredge up some, um, you know, some tweet of mine that will become a thing. And so, so it's, it's, an, it's an interesting like mix of eye rolling, you know, genuine concern. And also like, you know, I think they, they think it's, it's kind of bullshit, you know, that they, that, um, that they're going after them in this way. Well, what's so frustrating in this whole thing is, well, first of all, the fact that the U.S. government uh, and the president of the United States and his 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 people are, this is the way they deal with, with press they don't like, um, which is just fucking mind-boggling to be quite frank but the other part of it that's so frustrating is that okay great you want to play you want to play dirty well then we should play dirty too but of course no one on the democratic side is going to kind of is going to kind of do that and even if they did there wouldn't be any repercussions for it like if you went and found like some some vile racist tweets by like a Breitbart reporter they'd be like yeah great I'm going to embed that in my next article it's not uh it doesn't seem like the playing field is kind of equal in this Mm -hmm. front well, uh, I think that, you know, what – and this – to play devil's advocate, what um, – the pushback to that would probably be, well, what about media matters? That's what they've been doing uh, to conservatives for, for, for years now, right? This is kind of the same tactic. But with no results, right? Some, I mean, Sometimes look at- results. You know, some people would say that uh, media matters helped topple um, – you know, they led uh, advertiser boycotts against like Bill O'Reilly and stuff, you know. Some, sometimes results. More recently, you're right though, in the beginning, maybe Tucker not Tucker so Carlson results. would – you know, Tucker Carlson yeah. gets caught saying all these vile things about like underage girls and just, I mean, just awful stuff. And, you know, he's like still has his own popular TV show. So I don't know. I, I, I see what you're saying, but I also think it, it kind of reminds me of the Al Franken inc- um, right. incident where, you know, Al Franken is, you know, all of his cohorts come after him, tell him to resign. And, and you know, and, and when he gets accused of, of being related to Me Too stuff and, Donald Trump's response is, she's too ugly for me to have done that to her. Like, you know? It's right. Just... Well, it also shows how much you just come to expect that sort of thing to yeah. come out of these I think that what these people would say is probably like, well, we're just using the tactic. We're just, you know, turning the tactic around on on you guys. You know, you shouldn't be, you're, you shouldn't be, you know, exempt from scrutiny. And some people, you know, there's definitely contrarian, uh, you know, I think Jack Schaefer in Politico wrote, wrote, a, com- uh, wrote a column, a kind of a uh, classically uh, contrarian Jack Schaefer column about how, you know, journalists uh, tweets that should be fair game. I think Hamilton Nolan wrote something pretty similar on on Splinter. It's, it's interesting. Sometimes there's like a um, 
a unification of like lefty and righty viewpoints around these things. But I, I just think that's the pushback that someone in this group would probably give you, you know, is that, well, this is what the media has been doing for, for years, you know, and we're just, uh, yeah, yeah. we're just turning it, turning it around on you guys now. Um, but I feel like the, for, for the reporters who are in the crosshairs, for, if anything, this has just driven home you know, the fact that they, for the net, until the election are just going to be, it's going to be all out war basically, you know, with, well, that was, that was my next, my next question was, you know, when you look at the election, um, and the attacks on the New York times, for example, you know, this is an age old trick that you, you don't like something. I mean, Hitler did it, you know, it's like, it goes back decades and decades and decades. It probably goes back thousands of years. But you don't like something, you say it's not not real. And and it doesn't – the thing that I don't understand is it – does it work? When, when Trump comes out and he says, oh, that's fake news, it's bullshit, uh, it's all made up, the sources aren't real, uh, they don't have real sources, the whole story is just a complete sham – does that have any impact on people's viewpoints or is it essentially like the people that already hate the New York Times and love Fox News continue to hate and love the New York Times and love Fox News and vice versa? You know, to me, the impact it's had is just like, you know, the creation of these two alternate universes um, where I think there was probably a time bef before this era where – um, you know, certain people would still just believe anything that a big newspaper like the New York Times said. And these types of people who have kind of bought into the kind of Trump world propaganda, I think now believe that, you know, if, if they if Trump says that the New York Times or the Washington Post makes up sources, that's what they believe. You could see like there's like probably certain people that like you know, I went to high school with, you know, that, you know, you see what they're posting on Facebook and you're like, oh, these people really believe that like, uh, reporters are just making shit up, you know? And, and there's a lot of people in the, in the country like that who, you know, maybe even a few years ago, were not, um, subscribing to, you know, an extreme view like that. Um, but at the same time, does it have an effect for like the vast, you know, the majority of like reality based, Americans. I mean, in, in that sense, it has an effect of probably galvanizing uh, people even even more. You know, the galvanizing. You know, like the resistance or whatever we, we want to call it. I mean, really, for me, it's 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 just like sharpened like the two the two parallel universes that seem to be existing uh, right now with people. Who, there, you know, there's either you're, either you're a person who like will believe that Trump tweet about you know, uh, you know the, 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 the fake news media just makes up sources they don't have sources or you're a person who doesn't believe it you know <laughs> do, you, do you feel that way at all I, like I, I think that um, I think that at the, the, the point in, 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 that we're in in this country right now that there are there's essentially two different um, it, it's just it, as you said it's two different universes there's a universe of people that believe anything that they see on Fox News and there's a universe of people that believes anything they read in the New York Times or on CNN and I'll see on CNN and I think that um, I, I all that I think that his rhetoric does is is literally take a sledgehammer to that wedge that's already there and kind of push it down even further and I think that the the what where I where I wonder aloud and don't know the answer is is how this is going to play out in the future because this is not sustainable in my personal opinion and and I think what's fascinating to me is as someone who worked at the New York Times for many years 
I remember when I first got there and, you know, we would put out a big investigative story on the front page and it would have a huge impact. I mean, look, I was there when when uh, Judy Miller was there and like helped, you know, send 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 America off to war with with these stories that weren't weren't correct. And it it was a it was an institution and it wasn't just the Times, it was the Washington Post. It could be a big breaking story on on a cable news outlet. And they all had an impact. And now you see these stories that are like a year or two years in the making of tax, you know, frauds and 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 people, you know, having all of these things that they're doing wrong and work for the government and lies under oath. All you know, and they do nothing. It's just like this is like also a, you know this is like that 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 cadence of stories in early 2017, the earliest stories about you know the the the, the Russia. Well, it wasn't a Mueller probe yet, but the earliest stories about, you know, possible ties with Russia and I mean, those all there was that moment where it was like every night the Times or the Post was dropping some huge thing and you're like kind of starting to be like, oh, this is the end. There's been a lot of those moments where you're like, oh, is this (laughs) is this the one? Is this the one? And and it it never is. Um, And, you know, the other thing that's worth noting is that, you know, in terms of like animus towards probably mostly the times i would say this is this is you know somewhat specific to the times is you know they don't always need they don't need trump attacking them to to get into to to into into trouble i mean the, there's they have this a big problem with the left and um well that was going to be my next question for yeah. you so you've written about this before um recently for vanity fair you know the times has kind of found itself it's it's interesting because i i look at the times and the post as two of the last standing victors in this war that essentially melded together, you know, blogs and news outlets and online, you know, websites and uh, even even a lot of cable TV shows and, and, and news, uh, news sources. And really the last two standing for, for a while, it was just the times. And now, now it's definitely the times and the post. And mm-hmm. I mean, who, who reads time magazine for well, little, yeah. And the, the journal, the journal, to be fair, the journal is kind of like they've, they've got, they've started getting a piece. Yeah. That, the journal too. There's a few yeah. the LA times is a little bat on the, on the rise again. They're, if, they're on know. the rise again, but, but you're no right. One. It's really, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the post and the times are the, the, they're the lions really. But no one gets attacked like the times does and what and it and not just by the right but but by their own i mean there was that headline that you wrote about you know that where after the 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 two big mass shootings recently uh in el paso and dayton and it was and it was a trump headline it was assailing hate but not guns and the internet exploded and dean baquet had to come out and do interviews and and it was all that everyone was talking about on the liberal news outlet shows and you name it and we're talking about it right now why is it why why do we why do we care so much and i'm i'm cur- i'm not asking this cuz it's more of a rhetorical question i guess but why is it so impactful what three or four words on the front page of a newspaper where no one actually reads the front page of the newspaper anymore they read it online it's going to have a totally different headline why is that uh, torn to shreds well i think part of it is at the times for whatever reason as an as an institution has always been like more you know mythologized or, or scrutinized certainly by people like me like me you know people who report on the media people in within the media um and especially in recent years as as you know before the post you know really came roaring back under under Jeff Bezos um you know the times more than any 
at, you know, really, it really was just the times at that point in terms of like big, robust, muscular newspapers. I mean, the times is, was the, is the paper of record. It's, um, it's, it's a place that people I think looked, have looked to as setting the agenda consistently over the years more than any other. So, so there's, there's kind of like, you're starting already at with a place that is like more scrutinized and, and, and talked about than, than any other. And then I think that that has been magnified by, in, you know, in this, in this era, um, you know, by Trump, he, you know, he, he, he goes after every, lately he's been going after the post lot too, but definitely like there's a special, um, uh, hostility towards the New York times. Um, they have had kind of like also a track record of some really bad gaffes that people can always fall back, especially people on the left. They can always you know, go go back to Judy Miller um, or Jason Blair. Um, it's kind of like this baggage they're never going to really live down um, with with their critics. But I, I just think it's been mag- – I think that's really magnified every – you know, more and more. And every – so every time there is like some error – uh, of, of news judgment or, or, or whatever it is, or an opinion columnist tweeting something that, you know, uh, pisses people off. I think it's just, everything is like magnified. Every, everything, the volume is like dialed up, you know, to like a hundred where it used to be on 10 or something like that. And I think that the times, you know, has just like, is a lightning rod more, you know, in, in that way, um, you know, more than, more than other outlets. And they do sort of like have this reputation also, as you know, for like kind of like navel gazing and, you know, kind of like tradition and legacy and not being able to really like break out of that. There's, there's a whole like mix of things that, you know, to answer your question that I think make the times such a target. But when something like this, the, the, the fascinating thing about this most recent blow up with the, with the headline was not to me. And we, I talked about this with, 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 uh, our editor, uh, John Homan's a bunch that the basically Dean Baquet admitted, you know, that, that as the executive editor of the New York times, he's not really looking at the front page anymore. You know, that this was like a mistake that, you know, some anonymous, um, editors who actually lay out the paper, um, made because they didn't have enough space and they didn't have enough time to really think it through. So like, it, you know, Trump urges unity versus racism was kind of more like, it was more astounding to me that the front page of the New York Times on a really big, important news story, like, wasn't getting scrutiny from, you know, the masthead the way it used to. I mean, you, you know, probably when you were there, there was still a page, oh, yeah, there was still a page one meeting. Everything was about the front page, you know, and it was probably pretty fascinating to me that that's where we're at, where, like, the executive editor is not even closely monitoring it anymore, Um and then, so then, then look what happens, you know, the next, the next, all it takes is one tweet to completely, uh, you know, get, get the pitchforks on them. And what do you think, what do you think about that? You know, the kind of like the, the way that page one as, um, you know, uh, you know, front page real estate as, as a symbol of power has been kind of diminished. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that the reality is, is that I'd always waited for that to happen. It always boggled my mind that there were there were 50 people in a room twice a day, sometimes three times a day for, for one to four hours, essentially deciding five stories that would go on the front page. Um, but I think that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I, f- I remember first being at the Times and seeing the impact it had and it made sense. And then as I, as I left, you know, 15 years later, um, the impact was no longer there. And so it, di- it didn't make as much sense. And I think that it's... I, uh, there's a big part of me that thinks like, oh, it's great that 
that Dean Baquet doesn't look at the front page anymore. But I, I think at the same time, uh, you know, in this world where everything can and will be used against you down to like the a single word or a single comma or whatever it is, um, uh, it's clear that, you know, that you kind of have to be on the defensive in, in all aspects of things. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. The 2024 election means this year is going to be chock full of drama and nail-biting suspense. You deserve a politics and news podcast expert analysis. No spin, no BS. Just trusted journalists talking about what you need to know. I'm David Plotz, and each week on Slate's Political Gab Fest, I sit down with The New York Times' Emily Bazelon and CBS News' John Dickerson to do just that. Join us as we unpack the latest in politics, news, and the courts. Listen to The Political Gab Fest every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that when when you look at, um, at what we're what we're seeing right now with with this with the you know the the, the bed bugs attack against uh, the Times columnist yeah. about Brett Stevens and that whole chaos? And if you don't know what that is, then good for you, listener, uh, that you you were not uh, subjected to that. Um, but do you think that? It it's it doesn't seem like when you look at the, the landscape right now, it doesn't seem like it could get any worse. But yet, it keeps getting worse. Do you think that what's the future of this all look like to you? Like, what is the future of media in the next like couple of years during the election look like? Does it just get dirtier and dirtier and uh, and more ridiculous? And do you think that eventually there that there could be a moment in time where we there, there's something that fixes it, whether it's a technological thing or people are like, I'm sick of watching Tucker Carlson or I'm sick of watching Rachel, Rachel Maddow or, or whatever it is. Is there going to be some sort of pushback or something? So I think you're asking this question from the perspective of like credibility and trust versus uh, the news business, like business models, which are also in, under in, in trouble, right? Well, not just, not just credibility and trust. I think it's, I, I think that the problem I have, and this is, and, and I would love to hear your take on this, but my problem, and I've said this before with media today is that I think it, it predominantly, there are incredibly important stories that come out and, and, you know, as someone who covers tech uh, and has done for a long time, like all the reporting on Facebook was was astounding and needed and led to congressional hearings and will probably lead to some sort of regulation, fingers crossed. Uh, but at the same time, like when you look at like political stuff and even cultural and so on, it feels like the media does more to divide than it does to unite than pretty much anything uh, other than Donald Trump, of course. Right. And and I yeah, and so the, my question is: is 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 this just is just the world we live in, or will will it change at some point? Yeah, like will it will there come a time where those those however many people actually um, you know believe what the New York Times writes again, or have they will they just forever believe that uh, the mainstream yeah. media is fake news? I, that's such a, you know it's, just, it's so hard to answer that question. I, I hope, I think in my mind, like there is. A part of me that just is waiting, as a lot of people are just waiting for, oh, eventually things will get back to normal, right? You just kind of feel like someday this will all, this will all, all correct itself. Um, you know, I think a lot of this depends maybe on what happens with the, with the next election, what our, what our uh, government looks like, who, who is, who's running the country. Um, that said that, you know, if, if Donald Trump is not 
reelected um, and things do start to return to sen- some sense of, of normalcy, uh, you know, that could only further, you know, um, you know, drive a wedge between uh, the types of people who were inclined to, you know, believe everything he said for the previous four years and those who, um, you know, have a more measured a more measured take on things. I you know. I, I just don't know. It's it's a it's a it's, a, <laughs> it's something that I I think about too. I mean, I would like to think we'll get back to a place where like you feel like okay, I'm going to write something that's true, and I don't have to worry about like 50 percent of the American public thinking I'm like a piece of shit who's like a liar, <laughs> you know, making <laughs> making stuff up. But who yeah, knows? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to know. How, can we like come back from that point? It feels like things have, like you said, I feel like the two universes have gone so far apart that like yeah you know, can you can you reconvert people you know does that make sense that was a kind of a, yeah it uh, makes to- it makes total sense i think that I, I i i think it will take i think honestly it's it's going to take i don't think the media institutions are um adult enough to change the way they do things i think that um i think that there's going to have to be a systematic change from the consumer and for me i feel it like i you know I don't watch cable news anymore, any of it, period, because I think it's all just there to suck away my life and my time and and uninform me in many respects. Um, well, let's also go back. You know, uh, I stopped a while ago, probably maybe a year ago or more. I, I pretty much stopped. Remember when you were – like when Twitter was first catching fire and you were a journalist and it was like you have to be – you can't just like tweet out a link to every time you publish a story. You have to be engaging and responding to people and being part – like that was the what you were supposed to do for a long time. And now I'm like I will only tweet something if I have a story that I need <laughs> with, a, with a link because it's the same thing. It's like it just is more I don't even I don't even tweet the stories anymore. You don't even tweet anymore. the stories like, anymore. Mo- you know? uh, a- no, no. Most of the time if I, if I do bother, I just retweet somebody who else has tweeted it because – I don't want to deal with the the response. Like the other day, I don't even remember what it was. It was like a oh, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? She, I get that news alert uh, that we all got that she had um, they had they found pancreatic cancer on her. It was benign, and she's okay. And but you read the you know you get a news alert with the the name Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and you think like oh fuck, she's dead. Like that's literally yeah. the first thing that goes to your mind because of the why else are you getting a news alert or she's or she's retiring or something and literally you, I just I I my heart just kind of stopped for a second when or it felt like it stopped and I tweeted that and like all these people come after me oh you're just a snowflake you're just trying to get attention like you it's and five years ago people would have been like I felt the same way or they would have ignored me or whatever it was. And I just afterwards I was like, why did I bother? I don't need to have a conversation with these morons. Yeah. And and I think that so now even when I have an article, like a half the time I don't even tweet it because I just don't really care what these people have to say, and I wouldn't invite them into my home to have a conversation with me about it. So why bother on my in my home when I'm on my devices? And right. I but but I think you you we've seen this pushback with technology. You know, we rarely go to Facebook. Everyone I know at least rarely goes to Facebook anymore because. Every time you post something, it's like an argument, or or the algorithm, you know, gets inside your heads and head and messes with you. And and you're now seeing it with, I believe, a little tiny bit with media. Um, and there's a kind of a little bit of pushback. And I think that you're gonna have to see that pushback before you see some sort of um, 
uh, response to it. Uh, I also feel where, like where, you where know, I, I might be, a, I might say something that will like will you know be an unpopular opinion, but don't you just feel like there, you know, I mean, th- there there's been an explosion in, in digital media in the past ten years. There's arguably more than ever before. A lot of it has failed or is starting to fail, um, and. To, to some extent, there's too much media. You know, I think whenever I hear of like new things launch, I'm always like, there's already too much out there. And I, I, I wonder if like we need like a pairing, there needs to be like a pairing back in some way too, because there's just too, too much for people to read, too much, like too much varying quality that is, you know, treated with equal weight you know, on, on social media or, or in the conversation or, or wherever. I mean, so I'm, I'm curious to know also, you know, over the next few years, as we see more media, you know, either sink or swim, um, you know, and what the, what, the, what the field, you know, ultimately looks like five, 10 years from now, what kind of effect that will have. Because, you know, the traditional legacy media, print, print-based newspapers, the big ones at least, not the small ones, that's a, that's a separate conversation, but it's kind of like right now, it's, it's a good m- moment. It feels like things are resurgent um, and... You know the Trump era, you know, is is seen as a, kind of like a renaissance for for good journalism. Whether, it, you know, to your point, it's having the same impact it, it would have had before, or not. Um, so, I mean, I do feel good about like the bedrock media of of the country. You know, um, like kind of thriving and and finding you know sustainable paths and and, and all of that. But I th- I do think that like more. I think there is like a, a sense of like people want to unplug, whether it's like, I just want to read less media. I'm only going to read these three sources. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I'm off Twitter. I'm not watching cable news anymore. You know, how much of that is just people like you and me who are like getting to that point? Um, how much of it? Well, is but like- I do think that, I do think that we are, um, uh, we are at a point where what we do is, you know, the people that are working in some sort of field is usually the the thing that comes afterwards. And I think we're there. And I think so that, you know, it's actually a perfect segue into the kind of the next thing that I think is fascinating is I remember a time where just on this podcast alone, if Trump's name was in the headline, that we would the we were 20%, 30% more listeners would, would click on it. And now you put his name in the headline uh, and it, it drops. And, uh, and it seems like we're at this burnout point with Trump and he's still he's still able to once in a while say something just insane that gets everyone being like what the but this past weekend for example uh, Labor Day weekend he um, I don't follow him on Twitter anymore and I barely look at Twitter but but um, but I read uh, somewhere that he tweeted I think like a hundred times or there was or retweeted people whatever and none of the things he said really kind of ever made I don't know what he did I don't know what he talked about uh because it never made it into my feed into my stream into anything um and um and so I guess the question is 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 when you look at 2020 and what he's probably going to do to try to get attention is he going to go I mean if it's possible I'm not 100% sure it is possible is he going to kind of double down and try to go even more ridiculous, more racist, more um, uh, more on the attack, more aggressive? Uh, is he going to have to change strategies to get more attention? Because as we just talked about, you know, if his, if, if his name in the headline is reducing clicks and listens and so on, the media will, will be like, oh, well, people don't want to read about that. So we're going to kind of change it a little bit. And 
do you think that it's going to have an impact on him, this kind of Trump slump, as we call it? You know, I don't know. I think, you know, the I think that the Trump, the Trump bump, you know, which after the election, there was like just, you know, like you said, it was just traffic, you know, galore and an endless appetite for anything about the current political drama. I, I've always, I wonder when I was thinking about this, this question earlier, I wonder like how much of, you know, the type of traffic you were seeing was because of the type of story. Like, I feel, I wonder how much um, of the bump ultimately had to do kind of like with the Russia story, which was kind of like the arc of the first two. I mean, part of it was just that after the election, there was a lot of like, you know, people were shocked and they were rushing to buy subscriptions to the, to the New York times and the Washington post or wherever. And, um, you know, were just consuming any, any piece of political coverage they could, but you know, there was this rollicking political thriller that was also unfolding. And I, I think that probably, I don't know if you agree, but I, I would think that kind of really captivated audiences and drove a lot of, a lot of the traffic around, uh, you know, Trump related content that's sort of gone away. We're kind of pivoting towards, a more, you know, I don't want to say traditional because there's nothing traditional about, um, you know, the, 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 the era we're living in uh, uh, politically. But we're, you know, we're going more into like an election story. Um, and I think that probably a, a lot of these tweets, at least, you know, the way he attacks the media, I think that's probably seen by him and, and, and his, his people as, as good politics. I was talking to a White House reporter earlier about this who said basically, you know, he's heading into re-election. Um, you know, he thinks this is good politics. It's an easy win for him. Uh, and with regard to the media coverage, that he genuinely believes that the coverage is horribly unfair to him. That, like, you know, he has this, he's this historic great president, and all of us are just like dragging him down. Uh, like, I, I heard. He genuinely believes that. That's what, that's what this person was telling me, and that, and that, you know, um, you know, recently, uh, you know, White House reporters have been getting like calls and, and meetings uh, you know, with officials who are like asking them, like, why is the coverage so bad lately? And this was especially apparently um, uh, driven home during the trip to France for the G7 summit. And so I think that part of him really believes like what how how can they not see what a, a great president I am? Why are they why are they? he genuinely believes that they, you know, we, the press is just like out to get him um, and he needs to fight back and he needs, and the, you know, this also ties into something Maggie Haberman had a tweet that was getting a lot of attention a few days ago where she said that, you know, she spoke to a Trump advisor anonymously who said weeks ago, I'm reading her tweet now that uh, the president whose own approval ratings have stayed upside down needs voters to feel negatively, not just about his opponents, but about longstanding institutions. So, so that signals to me that yes, like this is attack mode. Um, uh, so I can, I, if I was a, a betting man, I would guess that it probably continues to escalate and get, you know, if not worse at you know the same level that we're seeing lately uh, with his attacks on on the media and and others. Do you, do you agree? I, I I totally agree. I just I just I, I the sh it's like how much I remember as a kid, I was a teenager, um, and uh, I must have been I don't know twelve, thirteen years old. I was like a you know a boy, and my friends, all my all my male friends one of them like one of their older brothers had gotten this video tape called faces of death oh yes yes yeah. i remember yeah, seeing this, that at like blockbuster you know like yeah in the, like, and it was this like revolting video of people dying like whether it's like in car accidents or i mean you can get them on youtube it was now, a whole series like, right there was like a series but it was a whole yeah. series and it was a whole thing like a cultural thing in the 90s and and 
And there was like some pretty brutal stuff on there. And I remember the first like watching the video. And I was like a young kid, a teenager. I shouldn't have been watching it, but I was anyway. And I remember the, watching the first video and being like, oh, my God, and totally freaked out. And like – and then and they're, they're short clips. And I remember like 20 minutes in and you've watched like 40 of these already. And I was like bored. Uh, and it was just what didn't have any impact anymore because it, it just became this like – this media thing that de- meant nothing. And I like, I was like, I, I don't really want to watch this anymore. It's not that much fun. Uh, and I don't feel like it was awful to watch, but it just it didn't have the awful impact that that first video did. Right. So faces of and death I, is, is like Trump tweet fatigue, essentially. It's Trump everything fatigue. Trump I everything feel like, fatigue. yeah. And I remember like, you just, you, you, I mean, my friends and I talked about it years later about how, you know, how a stupid those videos were. And I can't believe someone actually made them and they had them in Blockbuster of all places. But, uh, but uh, that we, that the impact went away very, very quickly. You got that quick media fatigue. And you, you know, you, you see it when you go to the news now. You, you, you don't click necessarily. I remember in the beginning, I think a big part of the reason everyone was so intrigued by by him in the beginning was because we had this belief of, oh, well, maybe he just said it to become president. And then when he's president, he won't do it anymore. Well, that's, course, that's what, what I was, that goes back to what I was yeah. saying. It was like, there's, yeah. we're just not as shocked by the other, the other, so we're not shocked. Yeah. The, I, I, the, I, I, yeah. The other great, like, um, you know, journalistic, I don't want to say like innovation, but, um, you know, there, there's this kind of like this genre of, of, you know, white house gossip where it's like a Washington post story with like 17 sources describing this crazy, like blowout or, or see, you know, those, that was kind of like, those stories were such a hot thing. I feel like those, you're not, you're not like seeing those as much anymore. The Russia story's over. Um, you know, I think, you know, people are just kind of like, sick of seeing his tweets. But that said, you know, the election is going to, you know, traffic, no matter whether it's Trump or like Romney versus Obama, which is, you know, uh, you know, it feels like a total snooze com- comparatively. Traffic's always much higher. And I think, you know, I wonder, you know, if the election in general, like the, you know, as we get closer to, to um, the real like fight for the, you know, the Democratic nomination and then the general, like, I think that will revive you know, I think that that you know audiences will will definitely come back for that, and Trump's going to be a part of it no matter what. The, the 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 thing about the era we're in is that like every story, almost every story has some Trump angle to it. You know, um, it's inescapable. Uh, this is what was so funny about um, you know when I reported earlier uh, this year about what would the um, you know editorial page editor of the New York Times, James Bennett, do if his brother um, entered the race, uh, Michael Bennett uh, entered the race for, for for the Democratic nomination, and the Times said, you know, he'd have, you know, he'll he will step, and he has done this since since this actually happened. He will recuse himself from all, you know, like 2020 related coverage, and you're kind of like, well, that seems like everything, you know, <laughs> like a series on climate change, a series on this or that. So I I I agree with you. Like there's there's fatigue. The Trump headlines, the Trump SEO is not doing what it used to um but i feel like this this election is gonna you know the closer we get and the more of a battle it becomes um i I feel like we're gonna see some of the fire come back in terms of like people wanting to read and you know a voracious appetite for 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 political content i hope not i hope not i hope i I hope that but it'll be more but it won't just be trump though it'll it'll be like trump versus democratic yeah it could be it could be a Bernie Sanders bump. It could be a you know uh, who who who's a Democrat maybe that might replicate some of that. Um, I think that know, the best Democrat the out there will be the will be the one who um, who doesn't 
doesn't engage because you yeah, look. I mean, it, it would be fun to watch like a, a a fist fight in the mud in a bikini, but at the same time, it's like no one's win, like no one's beating him. He's just he is. He will play dirty. He will do every single thing he can uh, to win, and um, and he will be. He's just a bully, and he's a, the biggest bully there is. And I think that. Um, uh, so I think that that hopefully. Hopefully we won't be – I don't think – somebody said to me, I forget who it was, but somebody was like, you know, dem- democracy was not designed uh, so that we could sit and read about it for like 23 hours a day. Like that – it doesn't work if that's the case. It's like if that was the case, we should all just kind of – we should all be in office and all be making the decisions. Like we vote for these people to do these things and we should be involved, but we shouldn't be – it should not be consuming every moment of our lives uh, in the way that it has yeah. in the past few years. Well, I also, in terms of like coverage, I think there's also all these new political, fast rising political stars that are creating these these mini bumps. You know, there was like a real, there was like an AOC bump it was a real thing for a while. I feel like yeah, it's Buddha, true. Buttigieg became a pretty big media obsession. Beto for a moment. So I think that there's gonna, we're gonna see more of that probably like in the bigger context of 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 Trump coverage you know like a, a, as we progress closer to you know knowing who the nominee will be or who the 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 real finalists are um so yeah. that will be fun to watch and see who you know who kind of usurps some of the the Trump traffic and on the democratic side you are listening to inside the hive with Nick Bilton Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you think um, – okay, so I want to move to one last topic before we let you escape and go back to your reporting. So there there was a story this week uh, by uh, Mike Isaac at the New York Times, and there's been – there was another story about DARPA. Um, and um, th- uh, there's kind of like a – it seems like – and I didn't expect this quite honestly, but it seems like people, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or – um, uh, the the U.S. government, the FBI, Department of Justice, that they are kind of looking to take on the fake news um, problem, the real fake news problem, not the Donald Trump one, but the, you know, Russia planting stories, China, you know, having fake bots that are uh, trying to push, you know, certain topics of, discu- of, of not discussion, of, of hate. It seems like... Um, we are now kind of entering a point in time where fake news, and I say the real fake news because th- there is a real version of it, um, is going to be kind of – it's going to become uh, – it's becoming kind of a weapon. And um, the fact that the U.S. government said uh, this past week that they were uh, they were putting together teams to kind of try to build AI to stop and spot and so on, and the fact that there's been meetings with – um, federal officials at you know tech headquarters at Facebook and Twitter and places. It, what do you think is going to happen here? Do you think that this is a solvable problem from a technology perspective, um, and that the government actually legitimately cares, or is it a 
Um, is it just kind of a bit of a ruse to like say, hey, look, we really do care? Uh, because I don't believe that the there's enough effort being put behind stopping um, fake content uh, around the elections because um, it's not in Trump's best interest, of course. Uh, and I also don't believe that um, that the Facebooks and Twitters of the world really give that much of a shit because if they did, it wouldn't exist. Um, so I'm curious what you think. Do you think that this is actually going to be something that we're going to is going to have a massive impact on our, on our media consumption in the next 18 months or is it something that um, might end up actually being stopped we don't know enough i think yet about these discussions or i mean the the, the bloomberg article about you know the pentagon uh i guess kind of furtively uh so far to you know going after fake news when i first saw the headline so the headline is u.s unleashes military to fight fake news comma disinformation so i was thinking originally back to like the fake news circa 2016 which is like you know not necessarily like it, it, it was more like disinformation it was it was like you know um russians creating a page to like attract democrats and posting like you know kind of content that was like maybe factually incorrect or so. it wasn't like you know that's kind of wasn't that what fake news was in 2016 it was more like misinformation misleading biased content uh, masquerading under the guise of credibility on on Facebook. Actually, this article it's it seems to be they're literally targeting like deep fakes and like you know manufactured videos to make it look like politicians are saying things they're not. And that that to me looks like what this effort is about. And because at first I was like, how do you stop just like biased type of fake news content or like, you know, misinformation type fake news content on Facebook, you know, but this is literally like they're using algorithms to look at like people's like facial expressions or like articles of clothing to like determine if they're real or like doctored. And that was like a whole different dystopian <laughs> type of um, operation to me. So I don't know how that like technologically speaking that I don't know how that works. And I don't know, you know, if, if the government, the Pentagon, is able to identify, you know, these deep fake videos or whatever, like, is it then on? Is it then on them to like go tell Facebook to like get or YouTube to get it off the platform? I, I just don't know. I don't know how it would work. Do you have any sense of like, you know, how that would actually work if they they identify, you know, um, Nancy Pelosi speaking with a slur when when really uh, she wasn't, right? How do they? What what then happens like to to get that video well, off the internet? What I what I find so fascinating is I remember after 2016 I started doing a little research and and wrote this piece about oh you think fake news was bad wait till you see fake video and fake um, uh, fake audio and cited a few research papers and examples and this was this was like three years ago and I. I think I wrote in the article that it would probably not be around by 2020, but by 2024. Cut to today. Here we are. You know, here right. we are. It's here. You know, there's an app that you can now download where you can make deep fakes. It's not the greatest in the world, but at first glance, in a short clip, it actually works pretty well. There's the guy who does these deep fakes on YouTube of like Bill Hader doing impressions of Arnold Schwarzenegger where his face becomes Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you can't actually tell because it happens so seamlessly. There's a fake video that someone made recently with doing deep fakes of, of uh, Keanu Reeves stopping a robbery at a 7-Eleven and you watch it and you're like, holy shit, is that really Keanu Reeves? And, and 
and then what you start to see is those those moments of where it's applied to politics and you have a video of Nancy Pelosi slurring and it really just turns out that all they did was like slow things down and play them backwards and speed them up there was a, an animated gif of 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 um uh free melania who was um was supposedly moving her hand away from Donald Trump uh, and giving him a nasty look it turned out it was actually played in reverse like and i think that we as a society are we're not capable of deciphering what is real and what is not in real time. I don't think we're built for that. And I think that the technology is moving too quickly and, and so much quicker than uh, it has been designed for. And I think the only way to stop it is you cannot turn the clock back because people have seen it and that's it. The only way to stop it is to be able to identify it as it happens and to then stop it. And, and, and that the only solution to that is a technological solution because you're never putting the genie back in the bottle of like fake audio and deep fakes and things like that. That will become a norm uh, and it will become the thing that we see. But what you can do is look, you know, trending topics on Twitter is designed to be able to tell on a location by location by location basis what is trending in a specific area and why, and if we should highlight that or if we shouldn't, and as a company, um, that, um, t- talking about Twitter. And I think that the question is, if they can do that, Facebook can do that. Facebook can can tell you which post that your friend wrote that's that that it's about them getting engaged and that's the one that should be highlighted more or when it's your birthday and we should push that to the top and of the news feed and so on they do that enough that i think that they should be able to um uh to, to solve this problem and it's just a matter of if they want to and that's that's the big question for me and i and the perfect example is you know Facebook said it couldn't solve the anti-vaxxer problem where all these fake news stories about anti about vax vaccinations were being shared all over the place and uh and they were like it's too it's too difficult we don't have the right engineering power and so on and then along comes Pinterest and they're like oh we just took it out of our search bar and you can't actually search for right. it anymore and it van- vanished from our website and so the question I think I have is I don't I truly do not necessarily believe that it is it is there's no incentive for Mark Zuckerberg to stop this uh, and he hasn't exactly displayed any real uh, in, um, beliefs that he that he wants to um, you know when he went on Kara Swish's podcast right. earlier this year but they have and, to appear that they have to appear to be um, grappling with the issue, I guess, right? Yeah, and I think that I, I just don't think that I don't I question whether they want to solve it. And I question whether every anyone wants to solve it. Why would Donald Trump want to stop this? Well, that's the thing. That's the other interest. thing is that this this seems to be these reports seem to be you know magnifying the rift between Trump and um, you know the intelligence agencies. It doesn't it, you know Trump has diminished the threat of this this type of um, interference. Um, and, uh, you know, isn't like Mitch McConnell having, he, you know, he's kind of also, uh, you know, uh, you know, putting a roadblock in Congress to getting something done about this. But then you have the Pentagon who's building this software to try to like, um, you know, determine if the like those those earrings are, are real or not. And then but so that's, that's my question, though, is once they so they create this algorithm, they 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 identify all this, the, you know, these fake um, deep fake videos, but it would still be up to. Mark Zuckerberg to actually to listen to them and remove it, right? There's nothing. I mean, that's that's what has to happen. Yes, yeah. It's unless uh, I think that if the government gets involved and they legitimately are trying to stop it, then I think um, you kind of have to listen, probably, right? I mean, 
they would they could probably have some sort of impact yeah. but um but i don't necessarily i you know the the thing that i've heard time and time and time and time again which is the most nonsensical pile of crap is that these technological platform these technological platforms are just a reflection of society and i think that's bullshit honestly and um and it's just a it's a scapegoat uh way of saying well we don't have to deal with the problems because that's just what society is like and in the reality that's not what society is like. Um, you know, uh, you you get to read people's facial expressions when they talk to you. You can tell if they're lying. You can you can determine if someone says a building just blew up down the street and the building's not on fire. You can be like, uh, I don't think the building blew up. And there's all these things that are built into face to face interactions that are not built into technological interactions. And um, and I think that. Uh, these these platforms have never had any incentive to to fix them, and so it's going to be really. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next um, in the next six months leading up to the election, and then and then for, for real when the election happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in your I, so you I would hope. you would predict that we're going to see like um, videos flying around oh, Facebook of be... Bernie Sanders, you know, like dropping the N word or Elizabeth Warren's, you know, saying this crazy thing or that. Uh, coming from, you know, um, Russian troll farms and, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about it, but we're not going to actually see real action from, from, from Facebook uh, or, or whoever else to eliminate this sort here, of content. Here is my prediction uh, that, we'll, that we'll see a moment where um, it will end up in the mainstream media, probably end up on like Fox or something like that, or even MSNBC. Somebody will fall for it, where there'll be a video that will go viral uh, of like someone behind the scenes on a bus, like a, a presidential nominee or something like that. Let's just say it's like Bernie or Harris or whoever it is, Buttigieg or Warren, saying something, and and it won't be. It'll be completely fake, or there'll be a video of like someone doing something that will be completely fake, whether it will be slowed down or sped up or played backwards or with voiceover or whatever. You know, it's, it's fascinating. I was, I, I, somebody pointed out to me this week, somebody emailed me, they have a company that they take um, celebrity voices and uh, by taking ce- literally celebrities from interviews, from movies, um, they took Brian Cranston uh, and they fed him one of my books or not him they fed an ai version of him one of my books and it reads the book as if brian cranston is narrating my book it would cost like a million dollars to hire brian that's, cranston yeah that's to good read, for sales should, uh, it's great for sales it. and it and it it works like i'd say 90 percent well like there's there's there are points where there's like an m dash and it doesn't understand to pause there um and and there are certain words that it it has a little bit of trouble saying but i was listening to it i was like wow this is actually pretty impressive and 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 then they sent me another version because I didn't respond to the to the to the message. They sent me another version where uh, some other celebrity, I, I forget who it was, was doing it. And I, and it was it was fascinating to be like you can imagine a world in the highlight of this is like I want to read this book, but I want it read to me by Donald Trump because I think it'd be fun to have that you know. And the AI does that, and I think that. But you can also imagine a world where you're like you know. I want to make up a story that Elizabeth Warren said X, and um, uh, and and it it all it takes is you know for it to go viral for two seconds, and that's the whole point with virality. It happens very quickly, and once you've seen it, there's no turning it back. So you think that could sink someone? Do you think? Do you think that I don't this think will it's going to sink someone? I think it's going to. Um, 
I think it's going to sway certain people. So I think what you'll have is there will be certain people who are Republicans, for example, or even Democrats or whatever, but let's just take a Republican who doesn't like Trump anymore and voted for him in 2016 and is on the fence about maybe voting for a Democrat or an independent or whatever and um, and sees one of these videos and believes it and says, you know what, I'd rather vote for Trump. Right. And it'll be a topic. It'll be like a topic about abortion or, you know, something racist to try to get black voters or whatever it is. Um, and it will have an impact. And um, and I don't I and I think that we'll fast forward to 2021. And if Trump wins, which is highly likely, uh, because everyone's already believing the bullshit polls, uh, which I don't think anyone should trust or listen to the polls saying um, that, that he's he's, uh, you know, oh, that disastrous. he's down in he's the done, polls, done like, for. give me a break. Like, it said that that leading up to, to, to the election in 2016. And look who's president. Like, um, and I think that um, I think it will have a big impact. Um, uh, so, and then in 2021, sorry, Zucker will be like, we had no idea what was going on. It's like, come on. Well, let's, we can go back. We're on the record now. We can go back to this, uh, although this was all fake news. So we, uh, so we, uh, if it doesn't happen, then we're, we're covered. This was we, fake news. <laughs> but we can go back. We all can right. go back and you know, you heard it, you heard it first from, from Nick Bilton. You heard right? it first. Uh, um, all right. So last question for you, uh, just a little fun one, not really media related, but, who, if you had to guess right now, as we're kind of getting ready to go back into some more, some more of these debates and whatnot, who do you think is going to be up on stage uh, across from Trump when it comes to the the, the final uh, debates, the final presidential election? I, I have no actually, you know, informed or smart opinion on that. I wasn't it wasn't it lately? Isn't it like isn't right now this moment? I know. Uh, um, uh, this week in time isn't isn't like Elizabeth Warren kind of kind of surging. I mean, I feel like it's, I feel like it's go, swinging know. towards Warren and and Bernie. Um, and I mean, it's funny. Some of it's it's amazing how quickly you know. I mean, you've seen like th- there was there was the moment of of bet of of Beto, um, y- you know, which which we were a part of, obviously. And then it was like before you knew it, this like Buttigieg just like you know, crushed him down. And like, you're like, who's this, 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 this mayor. And then he's like, so quickly became uh, a thing, you know? And then I feel like I'm hearing about him less, but I, I, but I do feel kind of like the ultra progressive, but also like seasoned Democrat people, Elizabeth Warren and Bert. It feels like right now that's where the momentum is going, but, but it's like, so, I mean, it's still so, it's not far off, but it's far enough in the sense that like, Things change so quickly, you know. Who I mean, who knows what is going to happen next week? Um, let alone in a few months, you know, in in, in months from now. Um, so I don't know. So but I just feel I, like right now. What do you agree? Like that it feels like there's kind of yeah. a, a Warren Bernie upswing. I think it's Warren Bernie Kamala. I think yeah. Buttigieg is, is less so. Uh, but you know, I don't. I was just I astounded that up. he got. He became as much. Was there? There was like a day where he was. Um, there he was rumored. He was a here in the Condé Nast building I, th- I think i mean he just became, he just like kind of blew up so quickly uh that was really that was really like amazing because uh you know people had to learn how to pronounce his his name <laughs> 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 but that even feels like it's re- that already feels like it's receded so let's see so we'll see so um we'll see we'll see no oh, my, prediction my, from me no you you make all the predictions on this on this show my my guess is my guess is that it's going to be uh it's going to be a Democrat versus a Republican. So we, it's oh, not not a real Republican, a fake news a fake, one. Yeah, fake Republican. 
Joe, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been fascinating. I look forward to having you back on after the election. Hopefully, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is still a Supreme Court justice and Donald Trump is being voted out. We will find out then. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this. It's thank you. Thanks to my guest today, Joe Pompeo. If you enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you did, if you're still listening to me blabber away at the end of this podcast, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That's me. You can find these on applepodcastradio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave the best review you've ever left for anything in your entire life while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Away Travel and The New Yorker. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I'll see you next week. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the shake. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.